And Heavenly Father, we do, we, we gather this morning not to celebrate us and anything we could accomplish, but to celebrate you and say thank you to you because you've done it all for us through your son, Jesus Christ. And so we simply gather to say thank you, that it's not about us pursuing you or seeking you, it's about how you've pursued and sought us. So I pray this morning, um, we are a group of needy people, broken people, hurting people, and I ask that you, through your word, through your spirit, would meet us and give us the grace that each of us needs this morning. I pray that this morning would be a, a time of help, a time of healing. I admit I've got absolutely nothing to offer, and so I pray that you would fill me with your spirit to serve, encourage, and equip, and exhort your body for your glory. So we give the time to you, and I pray that you would do a work in my heart and our hearts, even as we gather, that we would surrender to you and, and walk in that newness of life, walk with the limp, walk in weakness so that the world might see that you're enough, you're our strength. I pray you do this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome as you're grabbing a seat. This happens about once a year, but I've got to make an announcement because things are messy here, uh, and, and parking's limited, and I think we all know that. And something happens when parking gets limited. You know, you get kind of agitated. Some people do. This announcement isn't for everybody, but sometimes you end up cussing at the parking attendants or flipping them off. At, at Hillside, we're, we long to be a winsome people. That is attractive in character and conduct. And I know not all of us are Christians, so I can't call everybody to walk as Christians. And I know what you guys are thinking. You're thinking, man, it's those Californians that are moving out here. <laughs> I know, because I know you. I know Texans. They're like, hey, truth be known, I talked to the Californians and they didn't do it. <laughs> in fact, the Californians I talked to were like, no, man, we wouldn't even do that in California. So I know I can't call you to act like Christians because not all you are Christians, and I'm so glad you're here, but I can call you to act like Texans. Let's be better than Californians, amen? <laughs> Speaking as an honorary Texas by edict of Greg Abbott, I can call you to be better Texans. Californians don't even cuss at and flip off their parking attendants. Come on. Now, if I find out you're cussing at and yelling at my more mature parking attendants, I got to tell you, there's a thin line between being pastoral and going postal. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know where that line is. I don't know where that line, I'm just telling you. Okay, that being said, man, it's 100 degrees out there and they go out there to serve. Every breath is like a hit of dust. Can you just encourage them and love them and serve them? Maybe take them a Gatorade? And if you want to be a Navy SEAL Christian, sign up for the parking team. I'll be, I'll be serving in the parking team next week because I'm trying to figure out who this is, who's flying the bird. So I'm going to be on the, on the lookout. I'm going to be filming it. Anyway, all that. So glad you're here. This is Hillside Fellowship. My name is Dave. We believe Jesus changes everything. He starts by changing us. You see, I'm, I'm a, I have new life in Christ. I'm a new creature in Christ. And it just so happens I'm a recovering addict and alcoholic saved by grace. On the 12th of August, I celebrated 19 years sober by the grace of God. Yeah, huge. And it literally, this is going to look weird, but it literally 
I, I keep my one my 24-hour chip and my one-month chip because those were the toughest, just learning to walk with Jesus each day. So for my recovery community that's here, love you guys, so proud of you. Keep it up. Great work. At Hillside, we, we know and believe Jesus changes everything, and he does that as we simply take the next step with him. Each day really does matter. We've been seeing how Jesus changes everything through the book of Genesis. I'm going to read the entirety of chapter 32. It's so beautiful. I've prayed for you for months. I believe this chapter uh, is, is the, one of the chapters that set me free. I'm, I'm praying that'll set you free too, because we're all addicts. We're all a hot mess. Some of us know we're addicts. Some of us don't. This chapter really does have the power to set you free. Let me read it to you. Open up to Genesis chapter 32. In Genesis 32, God says, Moses writes this. Now, as Jacob went on his way, remember, he he was freed from Laban. The angels of God met him. And Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named that place Mahanaim. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau. Remember, his brother wanted to kill him. He, he sent uh, messengers to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He also commanded them saying, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in his sight. The messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau, and furthermore, he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. Dun, dun, dun. If there was a soundtrack, this would be the Jaws. Dun, dun. Well, then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. Well, then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. I I am unworthy of the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only, I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. For you said, God, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. Verse 13, so he spent the night there. Then he selected from what he had with him a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and and 10 male donkeys and a partridge in a pear tree. No, that, that's, not, that's in the Hebrew. I don't know why that always comes into my mind. when I'm, I've read this 100 times. It's all the animals, I think. 17, I'm so sorry. Uh, he, he commanded the one in front saying, when my brother Esau meets you and asks you, saying, to whom do you belong and where, where are you going? And, and to whom do these, uh, do these animals in front of you belong? Then you shall say, these belong to your servant Jacob. It is a present sent by my Lord Esau, uh, to my, my Lord Esau, and behold, he is behind us. Then he commanded also the second and the third and all those who followed the drove, saying, after this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him, 
and you shall say to him, behold, your servant Jacob also is behind us. For Jacob said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. Then afterwards, I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on before Jacob while he himself spent the night in the camp. 22, now he arose that same night and took his two wives and two maids and his 11 children and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and he sent across whatever he had. Watch this, verse 24. This is where it gets really odd. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When that man saw that he had not prevailed against Jacob, he, the man, touched the socket of Jacob's thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then this man who was wrestling with Jacob said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Verse 27, so the man said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And the man said to him, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed Jacob there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face. And yet he is, my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon Jacob as he crossed over Peniel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh and the sinew of his hip. Beautiful story. We've got 21 minutes to unpack it. I'm, I guarantee you this will be truly transformative and, and life-changing if you meet Jesus there. Let me give you a big theological picture as we walk through. If you read from, from Genesis 1, clear to Revelation uh, 22, one of the big character attributes of God that would jump out at you is this. It's an astounding attribute of God. If you read straight through the Bible, you would see that God is humble. He doesn't, it, it's astounding because he's all powerful and yet he functions in utter humility. Now this matters because due to sin's entrance into the world, the small theological picture that runs through the Bible is that because of sin, I'm haughty. I'm proud. Oftentimes, even in my humility, I find pride in my humility. Anybody else there? No, it's there. Yeah. It's like, oh man, I am so humble. It's amazing. God, do you see how utterly humble I am? You've got to be in, like, it's astounding how sneaky and creepy sin is. Now, what we see in the gospel, the good news, for those of you here who aren't Christians, this book tells one story. It's of the gospel. It's good news that Jesus, God Almighty, emptied himself, humbled himself, became like us, lived without sin so he could die in our place for our sin. He was buried. He rose again. He defeated death, and he'll now give you eternal life by grace as you submit to him. He gives you everything. In the gospel... God Almighty humbled himself, emptied himself, and joined us in this hot mess. He walked in this hot mess with us. And the, the scriptures are clear. He gives grace to the humble. Christianity is incredibly simple. It's not easy, but it is incredibly simple. If you'll, if you'll surrender yourself, if you'll be humble and surrender yourself, God will give you all the grace that you need every day that you live for everything he asks you to do because God, he gives us 
He gives grace to the humble. So we've been asking, how do we live, love, and lead in a world that's secular, humanist, postmodern, there is no truth? One of the main ways is by following Jesus' lead and being humble. And in this, you're going to see the mystery in chapter 32. Uh, Winning often looks like losing. Winning in this world often looks like losing. Strength often looks like weakness. God's kingdom is totally antithetical to this world. If you want to be great, learn to be the servant of all. You want to be first, learn to be last. Love people right where they are and watch Jesus give you grace, give them grace. Winning often looks like losing. The cross looked like the greatest loss in history, amen? Hands up, it was at the cross, Jesus crushed it crushed everything. You're going to see this today. It's a bizarre story. I'm going, to, I'm going to show you Jacob first wrestles with himself, verses 1 to 23. Incredible internal wrestling. And I'll show it to you in verses 1, verse 7, verse 9, and verse 20. Incredible internal wrestling match. And then we're going to see Jacob wrestles with God in person. Jesus Christ shows up and wrestles with him. I'm going to show you God often wins by losing. And he calls us to do the same. Watch this. I think this will meet you right where where you're at today. Wrestling with self. Let me show you in Jacob's story. How many of you ever feel this way? It's an internal spiritual bipolarity. That is on Sundays after a good sermon, if you can get one, you leave thinking, yeah, Jesus. Jesus changes everything. I'm all in. And then you hit Monday and you go to work and you're like, oh, I don't even know if God's here. You know, I just, I don't know. I might be an atheist. I just don't know anymore. I mean, work is so hard, amen? And then, and then something will happen. You'll be like, oh, yay, God. Yay, God. And then something else happens. You're like, I'm never going back to church again. That guy, that guy made fun of me. I was flipping people off and I shouldn't have been. And I'm just not going back. <laughs> I'm just trying to weed out who it is. I'm still looking. <laughs> I'm looking for the face of guilt. No, genuinely, watch this. Watch verses one, two. If you can identify with that, that you've ever sensed spiritual bipolarity or spiritual schizophrenia, where you wake up in the morning and you're on fire for Jesus by, by your first cup of coffee and reading Drudge or Breitbart or Huffington, whatever you read, you're like, ah, oh, forget this Jesus thing. Watch Jacob. Watch verse one, starts with a high. Pull up verse one. Now, Jacob, as he went on his way, just left Laban, he let, he's going, and what happens to him? Angels met him. That's a big deal, amen? Never happened to me. I'm a pastor. I would like that to happen. It's never happened. It happens to Jacob. That's a big deal. You would think you would say, God, I'm all in. I get the message, you know, first it was a dream, the ladder, angels ascending, descend. Now the angels show up. God, you got me, right? I'm all in. Watch verses six and seven. Go ahead and pull up. I I think it's seven. Watch, same paragraph. Then Jacob would, because his messengers came back and said, hey, Esau's coming and Esau's got 400 soldiers with him. Esau's gonna off you, bro. Jacob should have said, well, the angels, I just met the angels and everything's going to be okay. I think that would be my response if the angels met me and like, hey, you're going to be okay. I would have told my messengers, hey, angels met me. We're all good. He doesn't. 
Jacob was greatly afraid and, yeah, there's afraid and distressed. So he's freaking out. Might have wet a little bit in his, in his tunic. <laughs> Again, that's in the Hebrew. <laughs> greatly afraid and distressed. How many have been there? God's proven himself faithful. Then something happens in, in life and you're just like, oh, it's all falling apart. It's all falling apart. We experience this nationally pretty regularly, about every seven years. You had Y2K and we all bought water. I mean, it just, all of a sudden we freak out, melt down, greatly afraid and, and distressed. But watch verse nine. Here's the other side. The pendulum swings back. Then Jacob said, oh God, the God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, oh Lord, who said to me, he begins to pray. So he meets angels. He freaks out. Verse 9, 10, 11, and 12, he's praying. Is that a good thing? Yeah, that's a good thing. Now he swings back. Now I think I'm going to be all right, God. You said, you told me to do this, and I'm just following you. So I think we're okay. That's verse 9. Then he begins to scheme. Verse uh, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. He's like, uh, I know how to appease and win my brother over. I'll send 550 animals to them, and I'll space the animals out. So he'll get one, one drove of animals, and there'll be a 15-minute break. And then he'll get another drove. He love bombs him. This is clinically what you call love bombing. I'll appease him, I'll manipulate him, I'll scheme, and I'll win him over. That's a verse, go ahead and pull up verse 20. You shall say, behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For Jacob said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. Then afterwards, I will see his face and perhaps he will accept me. Do you see the spiritual bipolarity, the spiritual schizophrenia that goes on inside of Jacob? Jacob has had experiences with God. He's met God. He's seen God. And yet when the rubber meets the road, internally, he's wrestling with himself. Am I going to follow and obey what God has said, or am I going to do it my way? This is true for all of us. None of us escape. This is true in literature. If I had another two hours, I would walk you through literature. Robert Louis Stevenson, 1880, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. This internal struggle that goes on. Uh, J.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, Schmeagel and it's Gollum, right? Same person? Is that true? Okay. This is just happening as we speak. So I wanted, you're my, uh, my snoops, my Google check. This internal, Paul writes about it. If I had time, I would exegete Romans chapter seven to you. The very thing I want to do, guess what? I don't do. The very thing I hate, guess what? I end up doing wretched man that I am. I'm wrestling inside of myself, trying to figure out. This goes on for all of us. Do you know why? The Bible says there's this sin principle. Paul says, even when I want to do good, I find this reality that evil is present with me. This war is waging within me. All of you carry a backpack of burden. Every single one of you carries a backpack of of burden. Jacob did. And in that backpack of burden, you are carrying names that have been given to you that convince you that you're a piece of trash. You don't measure up. You're weak. You're unloved. You're a loser. You're unseen. You're unwanted. Jacob did. If I had another four hours, I would exegete Jacob's life 
from beginning. You know Jacob's dad didn't love him? When his son grows up and his dad doesn't love him, his dad loved Esau. Esau was a stud, a lot of testosterone, super duper hairy. And his dad was like, I, you know, you're a hairy dude. And you shoot deer, and I like the stew you make. You're my favorite. As for Jacob, guess what? He grew up cooking with his mom. He had a whole bunch of names that were given to him. Internally, if you sat down with Jacob, you would say, Jacob, who are you? He'd say, let's unpack this. I'm unloved. Pretty profoundly, I've been searching for love my whole life. And you see, if somebody's unloved and they know they're unloved, then every interaction will become an audition for acceptance. And so even meeting my brother, I'm just looking for acceptance. If I have to appease, if I have to manipulate, because I'm unloved, you can dig through his rucksack. I'm a cheater. Even my name means heel grabber, usurper. I'm pretty much of a thief. I'm worthless. See, we all have this backpack of burden. I could spend the next half an hour going through the names that he carried, but inside, even when he wanted to follow God, he had this backpack of burden that says, who do you think you are? Dave, you are a loser. You've cheated. You've stolen. You've ripped people off from math. People are going to find that out. They're not going to love you. Why are you acting like a Christian? We all... We carry that backpack of names. The Bible admits that. You know, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it says, there's an accuser of the brethren who stands before the Father and accuses us before the Father day and night. His name's Satan. And he simply calls you names to weigh you down so you don't move forward. You don't change. You stay in the spiritual bipolarity. He wants to chew you up. Our culture does it. Our nation does this. It's called propaganda. We love it now. Watch, let me test you. When when you hear the word crooked, what name pops up in your mind after that? Crooked. Lion. See, you don't like that. Wait, Dave. Dave, he's a Republican. He's conservative. We don't, mm mm-mm. We've been trained in this. This is called propaganda. It's actually a tool of Satan. He'll, he'll attack and attach names. And y'all, names are sticky. They will get you stuck. You will walk through life with this backpack of burden. And when you wake up, you start thinking, this is who you are. And when you try and change, you can't because he's stuck names to you. Question is, who is going to set you free? Eight minutes. I'm not going to land the dismantle on this, but I want you to see this beautiful, bizarre story of Jesus. Watch how he sets us free. You're not going to believe this, but it's true. How is he going to set you free from this backpack of burden and these names? You see, the truth is, if a young man never hears from his dad, you're strong. You have what it takes. If a young man never hears that from his dad, he'll search for it the rest of his life in vain. If a young woman never hears that from her dad, you're beautiful. You're loved. No, you're a princess, you're precious. She will search for that in a thousand different embraces, never finding it. Watch what your heavenly father gives to you. Watch this. Go verse 24. He goes from wrestling with self to wrestling with his savior. Watch how much Jesus loves him 
and know how much Jesus loves you. Verse 24, one of the strangest verses I've ever read in the Bible. Then Jacob was left all alone because he sent his wives and everything he had over the Jabbok. So he's all alone, and this is where God meets you. We typically like to meet God in a big auditorium with a lot of people. This is how we do Christianity in America. It's a lot of people, so we feel comfortable because then I can take the message and apply it to them. That was a close one, Lee. And then we take the message and apply it to those losers. Almost had to apply the truth. That gets dangerous, right, Trav? I don't want to do that. We like to do, and we wonder, why do our kids leave church, go to college, and walk away from the church? Well, if you've made the group your God, and you leave the group, guess what? God loves to deal with us alone. If you've never gotten alone, then you don't know this, because here's what happens when you get all alone. It says, and a man jumped him and wrestled with him until daybreak. What? You're going to find out that this is God in human flesh. This is Jesus Christ. And when Jacob was all alone, Jesus shows up and Jesus jumps Jacob, gets him in a chokehold, starts noogieing him and saying, submit. Like life isn't hard enough, Jesus jumps us, chokes us out and gives us wet willies and tells us to submit. What is this? This is in the Bible, yo. You got to deal with it too. It's right there. And if it seems shocking to you, it is. It just shows up out of nowhere. It's a sneak attack. Surprise, choke him out. You see, we tend to see struggle and wrestling as a bad thing. This is how God loves him. Whatever struggle you're going through right now, know that that is God's form of love because you need it. Yeah, only half a, a, an amen. Because in America, we worship comfort. It's like, no, my whole life is set towards comfort. I don't want any dude jumping me when I'm all alone and choking me out. But this is exactly what Jacob needs, and it's exactly what you need. Is my mic going in and out? No, it's my, my hearing is then, because I'm almost 50. Watch, it gets more bizarre from here. Watch 25 and 26, because if you're asking, why does Jesus jump him and start giving him noogies and telling him to tap out? That's the oddness of God. And I want you to see now it gets even more odd. Watch this. And the the pronouns matter here. So I'm going to walk you through and put names with the pronouns. When he, that's Jesus, God in human flesh, when Jesus saw that Jesus had not prevailed against Jacob. Huh? My theology after reading the Bible is that Jesus is the Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, first and the last, the one who was, is, and is to come. He is the lion from the tribe of Judah. He is omnipotent. There's no, no one, nothing. This whole universe and everything came into being through him just speaking. And now he's wrestling with Jacob and he can't prevail. You've got to be kidding me. No, watch, it gets even more weird. He touches, Jesus touched the socket of Jacob's thigh so that the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated. Anybody ever had a dislocated thigh? Yeah, it typically doesn't happen because generally the femoral break first. I mean, it is excruciating, literally. So Jesus touches after he hadn't prevailed. He's wrestling him. Tap out, say, uncle. Jacob's like, I'm never tapping out. He wrestles with him all night long, finally just touches 
touches the socket. So his thigh dislocates and watch what Jacob does while he wrestled with him. Then uh, uh, Jesus said, so Jacob didn't tap out even after his thigh is dislocated. This is a stud. This guy's tough. He's been called a sissy, mama's boy, weakling. But he's tough. He's not tapping out. Then Jesus said, I'll tap out. Jacob, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I'm not letting you go unless you bless me. What in the world? What is going on here? Jesus didn't prevail against him. Jesus dislocates his thigh. Jacob still won't tap out. So Jesus ends up tapping out. Why? You've got to answer these questions too. What is going on here? What in the world? Let me explain it to you from my sophomore psychology class, infant and child psychology. Anybody ever take it? Yeah, I paid $127 for the book. It was thick. Sold it at the, apparently psychology changed a lot that semester. They bought it back for $2.99. Anybody else? It's a racket, y'all. Talk about conspiracy theory. But in that book on child, infant and child psychology, page 116, I know it's reprinted, it's probably not the same page. I was shocked to come across this thing called RTP, rough, tumble, play. Apparently, it's necessity for any child to grow emotionally, psychologically, uh, socially, interaction. Apparently, it's a big deal for dads to do rough and tumble play. Now, that's hard because dads can overpower kids, right? If I come at a four-year-old with full power, right? They may still have a little soft spot. I just did serious damage. So what dads do, this is amazing. What I do is I get down on their level. If it's my eight-year-old, I'm here. If it's my nine, ten-year-old, I'm here. If it's all four, it's like a prison riot. They throw a blanket on me and they just, I mean, <laughs> true story. My kids will leave me with a bloody nose. They can't come at me. Now, why, why do dads do that? I'm sure there's a lot of us that do it. You, you wrestle with them. You don't seek to overpower them, overcome them, crush them, and show them how powerful you are. You actually, I'll let my kids get a jab cross on me and light me up. And you know what I tell them after they bloody my nose? Good job. What a stud. I think I got a loose tooth. Good hit. My kids will be like, yeah, take that, dad. Mom, dad's bleeding. Rough and tumble play. Do you know why we do that? Do you know why God limited his infinite eternal power to meet Jacob where he's at and wrestled with him all night long, which is exhausting. Any wrestlers here? Six minutes on the mat, I'll pass out. I've passed out so many times on the wrestling mat, it's ridiculous. It's exhausting. Jesus goes all night long with Jacob. Because you see, oftentimes we allow ourselves as dads to be beat up so that our kids might be built up. We limit ourselves and become less so they might grow 
because they need to know they're strong. Again, if a young man never hears from dad, you're strong. You have what it takes. You're a man. He'll look for it the rest of his life through jobs, relationships, cars, chains, go through midlife crisis and show all his testosterone and hair on his chest, (laughs) trying to prove he's a man. Will grow out beards and do silly things. What is Jesus doing here to Jacob? I'll show you. Watch, Watch 27 and 28. So Jesus said to Jacob, this is a profound question. What is your name? And Jacob said, no, let me check. I'm Jacob. See, I'm a usurper. I'm a cheater. I'm a sissy. I'm a mama's boy. And Jesus looks at him in verse 28 and says, I don't know who told you that. I don't know who called you sissy, mama's boy, weakling, worthless, unwanted, unloved, unseen. But I'm telling you today, your name is no longer weak, cheater, usurper, worthless. Your name is now Israel. What he did was just looked at him and said, hey, you've been carrying this backpack of names for a long time. I need you to know I carried it to the cross. You can let it go. Because your new name is Israel, you're strong. He literally looks at him and says, you are a man of fortitude. Let me bring this forward into the 90s. You, Jacob, you just went 12 rounds with Tyson and you got all your ears, man. (laughs) You crushed this thing. Who's telling you you're weak? Who's telling you you're worthless? You've carried those names your whole life. And it's time to let him go because I've carried him to the cross. Do you understand, Hillside? This is what Jesus has done for you in the gospel. You keep running back and saying, no, 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 no. I'm dirty. I'm disgusting. I'm weak. I'm worthless. That's not what Jesus says about you if you are in Christ and you've surrendered to him. He's got a new name for you and you need to put it on because it fits you well. He says, in me, you are adopted. You are accepted. You are approved in Christ and you can be assured that all things are working together for the good. You are beloved. You know how much he loves you. He shed his blood to purchase you. You are blessed. You are born of God. He looks at you and says, you're a child of God. You're a citizen of heaven. Put that name on you. It fits you. You are confident in Christ. He who began a good work will complete it. You are complete in Christ. You know he calls you his friend. He's not ashamed, Hebrews 2, to call you his friend. He says you are part of his family. He says you're forgiven. He says you're forgiven. Put that on. That fits you. He says that you are free from sin, free from shame, free from guilt, free from condemnation. He says that you you have been justified in Christ. He took all of your sins away. Why do you keep running back to those old, old names? You are being sanctified. That means you're being set free from the power of sin in your life. I know we constantly want to go back here. I know we do. 
that causes the schizophrenia. Drop it. You are redeemed. You are ransomed. You are reconciled. You know he calls you righteous. Jesus took all of your sin on the cross. He says, you've been carrying your names long enough. I carried them to the cross. Put on your new name. You are a saint. And when you begin to believe that, what happened to Jacob in verse 31 will happen to you. Watch this. Beautiful Hebrew poetry. Most astounding verse. Jacob's whole life, it's been a 70-year journey. His whole life changes right here. Watch the Hebrew poetry. Now the sun rose upon, yeah, all of a sudden, I wish this was a movie. The sun's rising and you see Jacob's figure walking into the sunrise. A new day has dawned. He's come to believe he has new life, a new heart, new hope, new joy, new purpose, new passion. The sun is rising like Shane and and Jacob's walking in and he was limping. And it's a present act of continuous. He limps the rest of his life. You know why? Because when you have a run-in with Jesus, you walk different. So many Christians, we have, we know the creeds. We know the creeds, but we don't know the Christ. We've never submitted to him. I know I spent decades there. We know the sayings we can get by in groups. God bless you. We know the sayings of Christianity, but we've never met the Savior. We've never surrendered to him and let him carry our names and pay for them on the cross. So we don't walk with a limp. We don't walk in weakness. And the lost and dying world says, you guys are just judgmental. You guys are just against us. You hate us. And that's not true. That's what haughtiness does. Humility walks with a limp and says, listen, I've got a whole bag of names. That's why I start out by saying, I'm Dave Tooker. I have new life in Christ, but I happen to be a recovering addict and alcoholic. And all of the brokenness that goes with those two titles comes with me. I'm a broken, broken man. You see, we begin to lead with a limp. We begin to walk with a limp. This is what Jesus Christ has done for us. Do you see the the divine paradox? Jesus was overcome by Jacob so that in being overcome, he could overcome Jacob's sin. He gave Jacob exactly what he needed. He was overcome by Jacob so he could look at Jacob and say, you're a stud. You're a man. You have what it takes. Jesus was overcome by us, our sin on that cross so that he could take all of our names and give us a new name. What's your name? What's your name? Are you willing to get alone with Jesus and write down those names that you're carrying and begin to believe what he says about you? Because when you begin to believe what he says about you, there's new light, there's a new limp, and there's new life, and the world will see Christ in and through you. Let's pray and let's sing and surrender to him now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you didn't give us in your word stories of superstars that perfectly nailed it. You gave us pictures and stories of broken men and women just like us. Jesus, thank you for humbling yourself, emptying yourself, and being overcome, overcome by us and overcome for us so that you might overcome our sin and those names that that we carry. 
that don't come from you, they come from the enemy. I pray you'd set us free today. Father, would you bring those names to mind that we might nail them to the cross and hear you say our true name, that we're righteous in you. Thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.